You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be discussing Blood Beach, released January 28, 1981. It was written by Jeffrey Bloom, based on a story by Bloom and Stephen Nolivansky, directed by Bloom, produced by Run Run Shaw, Sir Run Run Shaw, and released by the Jerry Gross Organization. Run Run Shaw is a real name? Yep. How do you spell that? Run. Run. Like, it's like is there a space in between it? Yeah. Okay, just checking. I'm like, maybe Shaw. maybe you're pronouncing it wrong. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm aware of Run Run Shaw. Oh. We'll discuss him at the end. Deal. Because there's really not much in the way of production notes for this film. I, I couldn't find anything, so... Blood Beach also released the day that Elijah Wood was born. Aw. Happy birthday, Happy Elijah birthday, Wood. Happy birthday, Elijah. We open on the beach beside Santa Monica Pier. On the YouTube version that we found, the title card says Blood Beach slash Horror Am Strand, which is German for Horror on the Beach. Oh. Okay. So it wasn't a radio, like, <laughs> nope. the Horror Am Strand. Yeah. yeah, I was so confused. I mean, I'm like, this is the Strand because it looks like we're down in like Santa Monica or Venice, but like, what does what does the M mean? <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of quick glimpses under the pier and then tilting up at the merry-go-round. In the morning, we see Harry Calder leaving his beachfront property and greeting his neighbor Ruth walking her dog. She makes a crack about him being lazy because he took yesterday off. He asks how he can make it up to her, and she makes a joke that I don't get. She says that he's the only man she knows who can swim to work, and he might as well be the only one who swims back home. It, what, what does that mean? I mean, I think that the joke is that she's making fun of him for being lazy when he's clearly not being lazy. But what is the swimming to work and swimming home thing He mean? swims to work, but he doesn't swim home. Like, he he swims through the, the, you know, beach or whatever to get to his workplace. But he doesn't swim home. Yeah. But she makes it sound like it was a hilarious joke. Not just like, do extra work. <laughs> I, I don't get why it's funny. It just seems like she's saying it's not exercise very twice funny, as much. But it is a joke. It's like if someone said, I run five miles every day. And she's like, run 10 miles. <laughs> no, it's like somebody saying, you're lazy. You should run 10 miles because obviously they're being sarcastic. It doesn't seem like he's doing that much work to swim to work, though. And how does he swim to work? It's not on an island. It's just yeah. on the beach. He it's works on the beach. He works on so the pier. So he swims out, then swims over, and then swims back in? I don't know the exact geography of his location of work. To but he didn't. He doesn't like do a dolphin home. jump out of the water in the window of his <laughs> office building. <laughs> no. he, he swims out into the ocean, no, and I'm then he swims saying, back like, to the beach and walks to his office. If it's the office. L.A. coast, like the L.A. coast is, it curves. So maybe he, you know, the straightest shot for is this beach to the next beach as opposed to going around on roads. As the fish flies. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he just swims laps, and then he walks to work from where he lives. All right, whatever. None of this is important. <laughs> it's very important. 
Harry jumps into the water to get some exercise and the music turns sinister. We see a woman looking out the window of the merry-go-round at Ruth when suddenly one of her feet sinks into the ground, Ruth's feet. She screams for help and she slowly disappears into the beach. Harry hears her screams, but she's already in too deep for him to see her from the water. Her dog is freaking out and she finally gets sucked completely under and the effect is actually pretty awesome it is it it was actually too awesome because it kind of freaked me out yeah like it was like oh okay <laughs> oh, richard don't lie you were never going to the beach anyway yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> the sun no but uh yeah that that actually was like much better than i th- i thought they were gonna do a lot of cutaways yeah and like shoot up at these extreme angles and but just... she disappears under it and they hold mm-hmm. on the divot and it sort of pulsates after yeah. it consumes her which is more work than I expected them to put into this effect. It's the only thing they really had to get right in this movie. So, mm-hmm. At the very least, it's the only thing they got right. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the woman from the window. She's now pushing an overstuffed shopping cart down Venice Beach Boardwalk past a guy playing the saxophone, and she dances to it. Harry is talking to a couple of cops outside Moose's Galley, a tiny burger kiosk beside the merry-go-round. Harry has Ruth's dog now. One of the cops, Royko, played by Burt Young, keeps talking about how they would handle this differently where he's from back in Chicago. Lieutenant Pianadosi, whose name is, it's spelt like Piantadosi, mm-hmm. but it seems like everyone just calls him Piano yeah. or, or Piana, so I'm probably going to start doing that. But he tells Royko to give it a rest. Pianadosi suggests that maybe the lady just walked away, <laughs> and Harry says, uh, I heard her screaming, and he says, maybe it was somebody else screaming. And it's like, okay, shouldn't we find that person then? <laughs> also, <laughs> this one is still missing. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, also, this one is still missing, and we have her dog. Yeah. yeah. Moose, who runs the stand here, also points out that Ruthie would never leave this dog behind. So that's a clear sign that something's wrong. Pianodosi has checked everywhere that he can. <laughs> like where? The beach? Well, he he says they checked the house for information, and they they went through all of her stuff for points of contact, mm. and the the only people that they could reach out to were like, I haven't seen her in twelve years. It's like, did you? I mean, the only person that they did get a hold of was her daughter, and she's right. on the way to town. But he doesn't know where else to look because there's no indication of where she went. And if the daughter has no clues, then that's the end of the line. So he turns to Harry, a member of the L.A. City Harbor Patrol to find out what he should do next to find this old woman. Harry mentions that at one point he was engaged to Ruth's daughter, Catherine, and right on cue, Catherine is arriving to collect her mother's dog from the Harbor Patrol office on the pier. She locks eyes with Harry over the counter as she collects the dog, and we cut to them chatting later, and he recaps the scene of her mother's disappearance for her from his perspective. Harry mentions that he's seen some of her illustrations at her mom's place, and they look great. When he returned to where he heard the screams, all he could find was the dog, Piper. Catherine intends to stay as long as it takes to find her mother, but Harry warns her she may be dead. Somehow this possibility hasn't even occurred to Catherine, and she puts a hand over his mouth seconds too late to stop the words. We cut back to Ruth's home, where Catherine is just staring at all of her mother's art, including a weird clockish thing with birds swinging around inside of it on wires. We see Catherine walking Piper along the beach when she is stopped by the homeless woman who witnessed her mother's quicksanding. Catherine seems to recognize the woman, who she calls Mrs. Selden, and then the lady asks Catherine what she's heard from the police. She says she hasn't heard much. You're lying, dopey, stupid girl. Your mother was raped and murdered. 
The woman continues shouting at her for a minute and then makes a quick U-turn, repeating, You just remember who ordered you. You just remember. Raped and murdered seems like a very specific accusation Mm -hmm. from a woman who might have seen the event happen. So, like, maybe try to get more information instead of running away from her. Yeah, and on my first pass watching this movie, I thought, why did she say raped and murdered? Because these these people are just getting sucked under the sand. But based on some deleted scenes that were not included in the movie, it does seem like these people are getting raped underground, which also suggests to me that... This person has seen what happens underground. Right. right, right, because later we see this lady, like in the same area where right, the, in, yeah, in the, the events are taking place in the beach basement. In the beach basement, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you call it. <laughs> Catherine stands there alone in shock while Piper digs on the beach, trying desperately to find Ruth. We cut to Harry's kitchen where he's doing dishes with his flight attendant girlfriend. She asks if he got his clock fixed. Did I get what fixed? Mm, your clock. Clock. Yeah, that's working too. It just occurred to me why that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, like, it passed me by in the movie. I didn't understand. Does she have an accent? Like, I don't... Maybe. I just, like, for some reason it didn't register to me. Oh, you know what? I think she does have an accent, and that's why he's making her repeat stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's still a dumb joke. But then is the joke that... That he did get it fixed? Like, there was a problem? Was he I ever- want to know what was wrong with his cock. Yeah. <laughs> Why did he get it fixed? Keeping terrible time. <laughs> <laughs> he was swinging like a pendulum, which is not what she wanted. <laughs> no. In the night, Piper, the dog, pushes open the door of Ruth's home to get out on the beach to look for her. Catherine wakes up and realizes that Piper is gone and starts calling out the window to the dog. We see Piper laying on the beach as a sinkhole forms just behind it. We are cutting back and forth from Harry and the flight attendant having sex to Catherine approaching Piper on the beach. And when she finds the dog, she lifts it up and its head has been bitten off. Ugh. Why do they keep killing dogs in the 80s? And also, this this is like without precedent for any of the other kills. Yeah. Leaving Be- part of the animal? Yeah, leaving something on the surface. Why didn't it suck the whole thing down? Yeah. Right. We cut directly to the police station where Catherine is being introduced to Dr. Dimitri, who makes some bold predictions. <laughs> uh, if I were to make an educated guess, I would say that the killer was a large man or an average-sized man with unusually large hands, very strong, very long, very sharp fingernails. Well, you're telling us that somebody just took the little doggy and uh, what, uh, ripped his head off? Catherine is obviously upset by Royko's blunt paraphrasing. Pianidosi tells Royko to wait in the car after he continually jokes about the dead dog in front of its owner. Harry gives Catherine a boat ride around the Santa Monica water as they talk over their breakup. On the beach nearby, a girl is buried up to her neck under a sand castle in the form of a naked woman. Suddenly, she's complaining about being bitten from underground and starts screaming. When they get her pulled out of the dirt, she's a little bloodied, but the damage doesn't look too severe. And in the deleted scenes here, we notice a giant green monster hand reaching up between her legs, yanking at her. But they don't, like, it doesn't fit the continuity of the scene at all. So they were clearly added later. Yeah. Well, yeah, Um, it doesn't, but it also doesn't match 
what we find later in terms of the creature. I think that these shots were for the trailer, probably, or for so you, some version of the trailer. So you think these were done well before everything else? Um, possibly. Or they finished the entire movie and they were cutting the trailer and they were like, we never show the monster. We should do like a couple inserts of like creepy monster hands. Okay. And then they put those in a trailer somewhere, but then they didn't end up in the actual movie. Also, as light as her injuries appear to be, apparently she's never going to walk again. Well, that's a that's a suspicion that someone has. It it just occurred to me that my my brain <laughs> and your brain don't work the same in terms of trailer order. <laughs> I was just thinking that I was just like, no, you do the trailer shots ahead of time before everything else. I was like, oh, no, no, this isn't animated. This is not animated. <laughs> the trailer is the, the trailer last is part. the last thing you do. We cut to the police station where Captain Pearson, as played by John Saxon, is chewing out his men for not having any leads and the disappearance of Mrs. Hutton. He then transitions to the girl with the bloody legs. Apparently she got it worse than I thought. Last but not least, lovely blonde 16-year-old girl from Beverly Hills, no less, and plumbing, I presume, suffered massive damage to both her once pretty legs, maybe crippled for life, had her mind blown halfway to the moon simply because she was foolish enough to lie down on this particular beach. Royko takes the opportunity to point out that this would never happen in Chicago, mostly because Chicago beaches are gross. <laughs> You've never been to a beach in I Chicago. I googled them. They look like shit. Liar. Never. It's a tiny-ass triangle next to a bunch of skyscrapers. But when you're experiencing them, you're on LSD. That's that's what we call Lakeshore Drive, which oh. dro- right along the right along the lake in Chicago. I, I, Never mind. I, 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 <laughs> the beaches here on LSD. <laughs> Captain Pearson goes on to explain that he's being hit by every department in every law enforcement agency for information. On top of all that, he got a letter from the ASPCA regarding the investigation of whoever killed this dog. To investigate, capture, and punish the villain responsible for the murder of Pfeiffer, the dog. <laughs> that night they take a tractor to the beach and just start digging randomly all over the place in the midst of the digging Royko pulls Pianodosi aside once more to tell him he's doing his job wrong and shares his batshit crazy hypothesis that Nazis are to blame for these subterranean attacks what? I think I missed this whole section what? when are you going to start listening to me? listening to you about what? about what I've been telling you since we first been and that is when somebody does a crime like this, there's only one place to look, and it ain't under no beach. No? Then where? In the headquarters of the American go to hell Nazi party. What are you talking about? I did totally miss this plot He line. thinks Nazis are digging sand pits for people to fall in and but eating dog heads? I say kudos to them for actually digging up the beach because yeah. I was like, why aren't they digging up the beach? And then they started digging up the beach and I was like, all right, good job. Are they digging where she disappeared? Though? I don't know, but either way, they're at least digging and looking for bodies. Mm-hmm. We get a couple of shots here of a sort of beach basement. Yeah. There are broken down parts of the pier and then steps that lead to this underground area that's all dusty and cobwebbed. The next morning, Catherine sees Harry leaving his place and they flirt some more. After Harry steps away, the crazy homeless woman rolls out again and tries to hand Catherine something. I'm not sure what, but she doesn't want to take it. It looks like a headband. Yeah, or like a tiara or At some At first kinda. I thought it was like the dog collar. Like, I was there when it happened, but I can't tell if it is, and it doesn't look like it 
forms a complete loop. But I mean, maybe it was an open dog collar, but that would that would make sense because the dog's head came off, so his collar probably is just laying in the sand somewhere. But if I were her, I would be like, "You ate my dog's head." Like I wouldn't be like, "Oh, you have information. You seem like a you seem like a smart person. <laughs> you seem like a reliable source." But Catherine doesn't take whatever she's trying to hand over. On the beach, a reporter is interviewing people about the recent attacks. Nobody seems the least bit worried, which puts Blood Beach at odds with Jaws, the film it is so far modeled after. It sounds like this particular group of kids literally peer pressured each other into coming here today. The reporter is surprised to hear them blame a creature for the attacks. Why did you use that word? I don't know. What would you call it? Blood Beach, man. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Go ahead and take your shot for when they say the title of the movie in the film. Yep. Back at the Harbor Patrol office, Harry tells a co-worker, Hoagie, that he put in a request for a gun. We cut randomly to a guy playing violin on the pier by one of those coin-op telescopes before we're back in Ruth's place. Catherine is painting the merry-go-round, and she seems not to be as talented as Harry made her sound earlier. She hears the sound outside and she moves to investigate as a cat flies into the house through her kitchen window mm-hmm. and it makes like a full-on like puma sound as it comes in. We cut to Hoagie making out with his girlfriend and singing a song together called Fools for Each Other. They're separating for the night and Hoagie has warned the girl not to make any unnecessary stops. Spoiler alert, she does not heed this advice. <laughs> she immediately makes an unnecessary stop. Yes, the for- most unnecessary stop I could think of. For a bird. An injured seagull. No, that's not a necessary stop. She takes her bike down some steps to Blood Beach, where she sees this seagull freaking out, flipping around on the ground, and approaches it for some reason. I have never in my life given half a shit about a seagull. (laughs) And this lady's trying to fucking pet one. Like a broken one. (laughs) Surprisingly, though, she isn't attacked by the beach here, or the bird, but a rapist. Evidently, this man has painstakingly trained a seagull to limp... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to lure stupid I, women under the pier. I hadn't considered that. But otherwise, he would be lying yeah. in wait for yeah. nothing. Nobody's going to go under the pier just by coincidence. He it, trained that seagull to lead crazy women there. <laughs> the two wrestle a bit on the floor, and then she elbows him in the crotch. Once he recovers, he army crawls toward her until he is suddenly in the grips of terrible pain. He rolls over to reveal an enormous blood splotch where his penis should be, or shouldn't be. It sh- you shouldn't see it from here. <laughs> But we would have were it not bitten off by something. I was so thrilled that that was yes. what was happening. Because yeah. I was just like, at, you know, as his army crawling, you're just like, okay, bite his, bite his penis off. Bite yep. his, yeah, they bit his penis off. And Hoagie <laughs> rushes in instantly to collect the girl. Like he would have interrupted probably before he could have even raped her because he was that close. We cut two hours later as police are clearing the scene. Pearson and Harry stand just outside the crime scene. And Pearson reads the film's tagline out loud. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, you can't get to it. Which is literally just the tagline for Jaws 2 with five extra words added yeah. to it. <laughs> that doesn't seem like it should be legal. <laughs> no, unless the character is making a reference to Jaws 2. Like he's specifically like, oh, it's like that movie Jaws 2, but you can't even get to the water. Yeah, but they're not. No, because that's the actual tagline to no. this movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's doesn't seem legal. The young man playing violin by a telescope is now an older guy playing harmonica by a telescope. A group of kids rush up to Royco and claim to have found the rapist's dick before tossing him a hot dog. (laughs) I was convinced. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now we cut to Pearson's office, where he is, for some reason, patiently listening to Dr. Dimitri again. I thought this guy was, at best, a coroner and possibly just a veterinarian, but now he's hazarding guesses as to the evolutionary state of the creature without so much as a single sighting to go off of. All they know are people disappeared. I I want to say that the character arc for this character is that he this is his big chance to get out of being a coroner and yeah. like to get some kind of notori- notoriety and fame for some of a biologist like right. like he is like I need this this is my ticket out of this place <laughs> he says that this creature that didn't exist until this week has just evolved to hunt prey from the dark moist soil of the beach and will soon hunt above ground walking around on legs when one is asked to speculate on the unknown one uh, should not anticipate pragmatic answers. Which is another way of saying that when someone drags you to their office to guess at impossible knowledge, make your guess as stupid as possible <laughs> so they don't waste any more of your time. <laughs> Pearson throws him out. Back at the Harbor Patrol office, Harry makes a dinner date on the phone with his flight attendant girlfriend just before Catherine walks in. Here's where we get the most gratuitous boom-miking so far in the history of the podcast. (laughs) Catherine asks Harry on a date, and he has to admit to a previous engagement, but she agrees to dinner the following night. At home that night, Harry prepares a meal, although I'm not sure I would call it a meal. He takes a piece of celery, and he puts it between two pieces of a loaf of bread, and then he just starts eating it. Like (laughs) just a celery sandwich in bread. You never had that? No. Have you? No. <laughs> the flight attendant starts parking beside his home, but her hat blows off out onto Blood Beach, and she follows it for a bit. I just want to point out that she's also wearing the sun hat at night. Right. So in addition to, like, you know, hanging onto your hat because it's windy, you don't need to. Maybe take yeah, it leave off because it it's not sunny. Take off your sun hat. <laughs> but it's it's a whole outfit, sweetie. Can't ruin the ensemble. But uh, she chases her hat out onto the sand and then obviously falls into another sinkhole and she screams uh, as she's getting sucked into it. And she can even see Harry in his kitchen working on the meal for the two of them. But uh, he can't hear her screaming on the beach and she disappears into the hole. And then in our extended version of the film, she is inexplicably instantly naked as soon as she falls through into this subfloor of the beach. And is getting raped by someone in a giant green monster costume. Doesn't make any sense. Especially when you take it out of the movie. And just in the context of this film, it makes even less sense that that's happening. Well, they saw how successful Humanoids from the Deep was when you added more rapey scenes. Did they phone up Roger Corman and they were like, how can we make this better with eight feet of film? (laughs) Harry brings all the dinner he prepared to Catherine's place once he's decided that he's been stood up. Though I probably would do some more investigating before coming to that conclusion, especially if my front yard was a constant murder scene. But he did say that he gets he's gotten stood up by her before. Right. He says he would be more worried if she hadn't done it in the past. But still, it's like it didn't take him very long the next morning to realize that she had gotten to his place. And I'm surprised he didn't do that preliminary looking around before he walked to her place, which basically Ruth lives next door. And so he just walked to her house. Harry makes a joke about flight attendants being loopy, and maybe it's the airplane food. And now? That's right. Your husband works for the airlines, doesn't he? Yes. Only he's not my husband anymore. Ooh. (laughs) 
and I just recently became available. Oh. Before he leaves, Harry makes sure that they are still on for their date tomorrow night. The next morning, as he marches out to sea, he notices the flight attendant's car parked outside his house and realizes that she didn't stand him up. Amazingly, the hat that was blowing away so quickly from her last night has stayed in the exact spot where she sunk underground for the next 12 hours, <laughs> and he finds it next to a lady-sized sinkhole in the sand. We cut two hours later as the cops investigate a tiny divot, and I'm not even sure why. Like, he literally called the police and said, there's a, there's a little crevice here. There's a hat. Dig it up. And so they, they come back and they dig the whole thing up, and oh but they find something this time literally just a loose fucking eyeball that they put in a ziploc bag hey Harry, what kind of eyes are students have had no had doesn't make sense at the end of that sentence Ryko. nope <laughs> he also pose, pulls up a pristine like eyeball i feel like if you popped an eyeball out of somebody's head and dropped it and rolled it around in the sand, sand. Mm-hmm. you'd have yeah. it's a like, what color were her eyes? Eyeball. Yeah, what color were her eyes? Oh, they were just covered in blood and sand. <laughs> oh, this is definitely <laughs> her. This then. is her. Get, 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 get a bottle of clear eyes in here quick. Yeah, visine <laughs> or visine. Yeah, get the, the red out. I saw the commercial. He had a dirty beach ball. And yeah, he poured some of that stuff. This on looks it. like a case for Ben Stein. <laughs> <laughs> We cut to Captain Pearson getting a dressing down from city council for the cost of their beach murder investigation. When a councilwoman objects to Pearson's way of doing business, he starts a round of Willy Wonka-esque name-calling. I'm not even sure any of these are real words. You grandstanding twelve should just a minute here. You snot-nosed, scissor-billed, crowbait. You can't talk like that. Oh, no? (laughs) I think he can. (laughs) This is all TV safe because none of it makes any fucking sense. I think he's having a stroke. His, his his words are getting mixed up. The council is surprisingly offended by his gibberish, but he's not done. He also calls them crouch bunnies and, <laughs> and later amen snorters. What does that mean? Uh, I, I'm assuming amen snorters is some kind of religious attack. Like they're they're addicted to religion? Yeah. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> they're telling him to stop spending so much money on these murder investigations. Pearson orders his men to follow him out of the room, and Royko stays behind a second. Chicago, they give my medal. We cut to Harry, staring down some rather direct sunlight from the end of the pier. He's actually backlit way too bright, and it's painful to look at. Also, because the skin isn't matted properly, which is why we saw that uh, boom mic earlier, we're For able to see. Scene. <laughs> yeah, we're able to see a big chunk of the matte box on the camera here. Harry is losing his shit, and Catherine is just trying to talk him off the ledge. He's like, what are we looking for? Is it a man? Is it a monster? What am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know anything. But beyond that, he wants to know where this thing is hiding between kills. Catherine suggests that it might live below sea level. We dug up the beach. Under what? The canals? The sewers? Somebody's wine cellar? I mean, where the hell do you begin? I don't, I don't understand this logic that it needs to live anywhere because it's clearly traveling under the sand. Yeah. Creatures that travel under the sand live under in the, the sand. sand. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't need... Like, where could it... It, it obviously summers somewhere. Where is <laughs> <Yeah>. it staying? <laughs> it doesn't have a house that it yeah. goes back to. You just dig a hole in the sand, and that's where you live. <laughs> but she says... Maybe by looking in places where... No one else has gone. Well, no one else has thought to look. Hide and seek, right? I guess so. 
I wasn't too good at that even when we were kids. But apparently, by bringing up that they played hide-and-seek as kids, he's being reminded of this beach basement Mm -hmm. where they used to play hide-and-seek when they were children. Later, Harry goes exploring in this demolished section of the pier, or it's like... It looks like it's all rotted away like it was supposed to be developed and it just hasn't been yet. And so he goes down into the pier and he uncovers some stairs that lead further underground. And we see some familiar angles from from the inserts earlier of these uh, dusty steps down into this beach basement. And as he descends the staircase, he can hear flies buzzing around. Um, Suddenly, animal corpses are swinging down from above him, which is a remarkably coincidental connection to our previous film, Fear No Evil where the devil, for some reason, stored the corpses of domesticated animals by stringing them up to the ceiling. I'm curious how this creature is doing this, because he yes. seems to be pretty tidy with his animals that he's just tucking up into the little crevices of this pier. It's impressive. Undeterred, Harry continues until he finds lit cracks in the walls. Whatever he sees through the cracks is enough to scare him back above ground. And we see a man with a metal detector under the pier. Just as he leans to dig something up, he looks forward as if being attacked from above ground. But then in his POV, we see that there's nothing ahead of him and his vision is sinking below the surface of the sand. We cut to Hoagie. We should also point out that whatever Harry saw, he tells no one. Right. I thought he was just looking at cracks back to above ground outside of the outside of this basement is that what that was was that just i don't sunlight? know because we never see it because there was like a eldritch kind of light yeah pouring from the cracks in the wall we don't get any indication that this monster glows later mm-hmm. so i don't know what the source of this light would be if not the sun and again he found animal corpses and tells no one right because they go out to they go out clubbing after this yeah we cut to Hoagie performing Flesh and Blood on stage. Apparently the actor actually wrote this song and gets a soundtrack credit for the lyrics. But then we only hear about five seconds of the song, and the only words I can make out are the song's title. Hoagie joins his lady friend who was nearly raped the other night, and they launch into Fools for Each Other again. We crossfade to Harry and Catherine on a date, and then making out at home. Uh... Again, he's not filling her in that he found in. Oh, he's filling her in. Well, he's filling her in, (laughs) but he's not explaining to her that he found a collection of animals underground. We cut from that to Mrs. Hench, the wife of the metal detector guy, reporting him missing to Royko. And uh, this is a very interesting character. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because she has very specific words and terms to describe every part of his clothing that he wore that day. I just want you to know that if you were to ever disappear, I wouldn't be able to tell them about a goddamn thing you were wearing no. that day. But she Except knows. Except that the, you wear the same pair of cargo shorts every day. So not I've only that, that, but one. she describes them well <laughs> enough that I could find like this exact pair of socks on Google right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, she she's essentially just reading like the wardrobe list yeah. for this character. Yeah. We cut back to the pier where a reporter is doing his best to scare the shit out of any prospective beachgoers. Perfect late summer day? Perhaps. But not if this is the beach that you hope to enjoy. Because here, for hundreds of yards, you'll find nothing but desolation and loneliness. A seemingly endless nightmare of terror and violence. Bewildering disappearances. And death. Pearson tells his men about all the useless calls they've been getting, describing the creature from Blood Beach. It makes me wonder if that wasn't the title at some point, but maybe they thought the creature from sounded too old-fashioned. 
He also informs the station that all the nonsense insults that he hurled at the councilwoman seem to have had the desired effect, and now she fully supports the budget of the investigation. Mm-hmm. It's not like it didn't backfire at all. She's just like, okay, here's your money. I, <laughs> I am I a little scissor build, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to be called an amen snorter. Crouch bunny? <laughs> I have to Google that when someone makes a Google. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think of what a crouch bunny <laughs> Like, like you're like. Hunched, I, I do think he said that. Like you're hunched down and jumping, like making little hops. Yeah, they're always doing that. <laughs> now they have a budget for extra help. Pearson advises his men to think outside the box. Try getting stoned if that helps. Talk to your friends. Talk to your kids. Talk to your wives if you have to. I don't care what you have to do. Just bring me a gift, because I'm hanging on by my fingernails and I'm sliding fast. Back at Moose's galley. Royko asks how much Blood Beach is hurting her business, and it seems to get cut in half every day. Royko starts blathering about how Chicago does a better job to take care of small business owners. Before Royko can finish his point, though, a shrill scream penetrates the air, and Lieutenant Pianadosi draws his gun at a man covered in tar crawling out from under a manhole cover. It's the metal detector guy, but he's completely coated in this thick black sludge. I don't understand any of this scene. <laughs> Patrick... I hate you so much. Why? <laughs> My note. It's the metal detector. It's the metal detector guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? Do you always <laughs> have the exact same Because we have note? the same brain. The prophecy. We cut right to Pearson being stormed by reporters, and he confirms that the man is alive and in recovery, though I'm not sure why, because they follow this up immediately with, he can't report on the monster on account of severe brain damage and a missing tongue. <laughs> so it's like... Oh, yeah, he survived, so finally we're going to get an account of the monster. Oh, no, he's brain dead, and his tongue is missing. But, yep, he's fine. Thank God. <laughs> Why wasn't he just dead? Out on the beach, Hoagie is trying to talk Mrs. Selden, the homeless lady, away from staying on the sand. He offers her a ride to safety and starts reminiscing about the good old days on this beach. She watches silently as Hoagie approaches her on foot, but is quickly sucked underground. Now, we cut to Catherine exploring the same underground area that Harry did earlier, just on her own. Like, was she also reminded of their hide-and-seek games and decided to go down there? I I am not sure what prompted her to go there herself. Because I don't think she sees Mrs. Selden lurking around. No, and he, uh, Harry never told her to go down there. Right. So she just, right. on he, her own, yeah. decided, I'm going to do that too. Again, Harry never told anybody what he saw. Yeah. Harry and Pianadosi are following close behind her by coincidence because he went to Pianadosi and it's like, hey, there's this area that I didn't talk about before, but there's creepy stuff down there. Let's go check it out. And when they get to the stairs underground, they notice that someone's been in here because the door is open when he closed it behind himself last time. As usual, Mrs. Selden is watching all this in silence. Just as Catherine ducks through a corridor underground, her mother's severed head swings out and nearly kisses her. It's so close. She loses her shit and starts screaming when another shelf of body parts collapses and dumps a whole bunch of arms and legs on her and presumably at least one penis. Harry and Pianadosi <laughs> burst in when they hear her screams just as Hoagie's body drops from above. I think this is where I realized that this whole time I thought it was a monster, but they're actually setting it up like a human did this. Yeah, because it's, it's very strange that most of these limbs were in some kind of duct. Yeah. And then when I realized, oh, there's actually like, there's actually an area underground. A person could have dug these holes up and pulled people down yeah. and killed them. So I was like, yeah, I can't believe this whole time I thought it was going to be a monster. Right. But it's clearly a person doing it because 
if it were a monster, it wouldn't need this whole area. It could just mm-hmm. move through the sand. Right, exactly. And it wouldn't tuck, tuck body parts away. Right. Like, also, I was presuming that these were people were being eaten, but I guess they're just being dismembered and stored. I guess. The, he just, the creature just wants the tongues. Yeah. He Delicious tongues. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of cops swarm the area and load the underground chamber with explosive charges. Pearson wants to know why this decrepit beach basement is even still here, and Royko promises to fill it in himself if somebody else doesn't. I swear on the grave of Richard J. Daly. I'll get a shovel and I'll do it myself. If you aren't familiar, Richard J. Daly, as you might have expected, was the mayor of Chicago from 55 until his death in 76. We've previously heard his name on the show in reference to the Richard J. Daly Plaza. That's where they got that Picasso. It served as the location for the climactic showdown at the end of Blues Brothers, because in that film, the plaza housed the Cook County Assessor's Office where they were delivering their payment to. Dr. Dimitri is for some reason invited back to share his thoughts <laughs> on this monster's den. And again, based on little to no evidence, he starts spouting off on when this monster will be back and exactly what it will do when it gets here. Dimitri argues against destroying whatever species this is. And Pearson asks for infrared cameras to be installed all over. As a backup, he asks for a plunger at his command that could blast this whole place sky high. Over footage of explosives being wired, we hear a radio broadcast announce that 16 bodies were discovered in this dank basement area. Hours later, we see Dimitri and Royko. By the way, that's the end. That's the end of the film for our lead characters. Yeah. Pearson, Harry, and uh, and Catherine, they're done with yep. the story. Now it's a movie about Royko and Dimitri. <laughs> Hours later, we see Dimitri and Royko in the control room with all the monitors. Dimitri tries to explain to Royko that many species have regenerative features. My main concern, which I'm sure is not shared by you, Sergeant, is our creature here, this fellow that we're waiting for. What if he possesses these uh, similar abilities? Royko isn't smart enough to understand his point. Think about it for a minute, Sergeant. What if I'm right? What will happen after we've pushed the plunger and blown this poor creature into smithereens? What might become of each smithereen? For whatever reason, all the other cops have left Royko in charge here, and he is called in to the surveillance van when they see something on the monitors. I can't tell what it is. There's some kind of a shape that everyone's very intrigued by, yeah. but I can't tell what they're supposed to be looking at. Something huge and roundish appears on screen, and we get these bizarre inserts underground of this thing pulsating. It just looks like a flower, mm-hmm. uh, or like a piranha plant, kind of, because it's got like fangs around the outside of it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming like that's its mouth agape. Maybe like that when it's digging through the sand, that that like fixture closes, much like graboid. Yeah, we also get these weird inserts of something like bulging and pulsating almost like what william hurt looks like in altered states in that last like Mm -hmm. freak out scene where he's just a giant patch of skin that's like bubbling royko immediately races outside to smash the plunger on the explosives and he gets there before anybody can stop him so the bombs go off in rapid succession and through spotlights at the crime scene we see the smithereens that dimitri warned us about sparkling down over the entire beach We fade to a sunny day at the beach where Harry is collecting Catherine in his Jeep together and they drive away and we begin a jazzy montage jumping all over the beach where sinkholes are appearing beside unsuspecting beachgoers. Only one victim, 
a young boy named Sean seems to actually get sucked under. The camera pans away from him, and suddenly he's gone, and his mom is freaking out. And I'm wondering if that is a nod to Jaws, because I think I believe one of Sean. Brody's kids' name is Sean. Yeah. Is that in Jaws two? Uh, it, well, in both Jaws one and two, that Sean Sean is one of the brothers. I think Sean is in our next film that we're reviewing. Okay, Earthbound. Earthbound. The credits roll over a long series of just sinkholes opening up next to people, and that's the end of our film. Which, which at first I was like, okay, you, you shown one, you, you end with one, you end with one opening. But then it showed like more and more. I was like, I was getting a little frustrated. But then I was like, okay, no, no, this is going over all the whole credits. Now I'm now I'm actually kind of into it. Yeah, but again. also the point of it is to show that there's now Dozens. a hundred of these yeah, creatures. Yeah, yeah. So it couldn't just be one. Um, but yeah, all the smithereens are, you know, they're like starfish. They're they're all growing together. Um, our our writer director here was Jeffrey Bloom. This was his second to last feature screenplay before he wrote and directed Flowers in the Attic later in the 80s. The story was from Stephen Nalavansky. He has a few story credits on Starsky and Hutch. Producer Sir Run Run Shaw was the co-founder with brother Run May of Hong Kong's famous Shaw Brothers Studios, who are almost single-handedly responsible for the popularization of kung fu films. Run Run was born in 1907, knighted in 1973, and only passed away nine years ago at the age of 106. Wow. I remember the day it happened because it blew my mind that one of the Shaw brothers was still alive. He he was knighted in England? Yep, because Hong Kong is, or was Was, in 73, Exactly. um, a a British uh, province? What would you call it? Uh, Property? Territory? Territory? Commonwealth. I don't know. These are all words. (laughs) (laughs) Run Run has 364 producer credits on IMDb. DP Stephen Poster is also DP on Dead and Buried later this season, which would be a fine title for this movie, actually. Uh, he'd go on to lens Strange Brew, Big Top Pee Wee, Rocky Five, The Good Rocket Man, and Donnie Darko later in his career. Well, I also wanted to, uh, yeah, because I agree, The Good Rocket Man. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also wanted to point out another one of my personal favorites, uh, The Boy Who Could Fly. I don't he, know that one. He was the, the DP on that. It's a weird little movie about... Uh, uh, this family with a kid next door who's like on the spectrum and gets bullied a lot, but uh, but apparently he can actually fly, and he befriends like the girl neighbor next door and like is trying to she's trying to connect with him but can't get through his autism. Huh. Um, it's got a lot of cool people. It's got Fred Savage. It's got uh, Fr- uh Fred Gwynn, uh, Herman Munster. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like a movie I watched a lot growing up. No, I never heard of that. Um, David Huffman played Harry Calder. I'll cover his work in Leo and Laurie for a belated minisode this year. After that, he's back for Firefox and Last Plane Out in 82 and 83. In 1985, he was performing Of Mice and Men at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. When the run ended, he brought cookies as a goodbye to his cast. He was sitting in his car waiting outside the theater practicing playing the bagpipes when he noticed a man that was caught breaking into a motorhome. He chased the thief into a nearby park where the thief stabbed him twice in the chest with a screwdriver and he bled to death in less than a minute. His body was discovered an hour later by children on a field trip. Oh, damn. That was the end of uh, Harry here. Mariana Hill played Catherine Hutton. Her birth name was Mariana Schwarzkopf and U.S. Army General Storman Norman Schwarzkopf was actually her cousin. 
She played Fredo's wife, Deanna, in Godfather Part 2, and we just had her as Julie in Schizoid last year. She's also in a 1970 title called The Traveling Executioner with Stacey Keach that looks completely awesome from the trailer. <laughs> so he's like a former carny who stole this electric chair sideshow, and he drives around the American South offering his electric chair services to people. But what does that mean? Just like he I'll go, kill he, you? He literally goes to like shitty corrupt prisons, and he's like, I have a chair you could you could rent from me. And it's oh, it, I thought he was just offering to the general public like I it's a suicide machine. Who wants yeah, it? <laughs> no, he's the, the uh, precursor to Kevorkian. I think it's based on a real guy, but it takes place at like turn of the century, like early 1900s. Burt Young played Sergeant Royko. He's Curly in Chinatown. He's Polly in six Rocky movies. He played Louis C.K.'s dad Horace Senior on Horace and Pete. And he's Rodney Dangerfield's assistant in Back to School. We'll see him next in All the Marbles later this season. That's that glow-looking movie with Peter Falk mm. and the lady mm-hmm. wrestlers. Yeah. Otis Young played Lieutenant Pianodowski. He was a waiter in Hollywood Nights last year. He's also Mulhall in The Last Detail in 73. And he's also in something called The Clones the same year that looked pretty interesting. Hmm. It's like these people are cloning the smartest scientists in the world. You'll never believe it. Something goes wrong. Lena Poussette plays Marie. Who is Marie? Is that the, the flight attendant girlfriend? I okay. Or no, that or makes the sense. Other, or the other girlfriend. No, I think it is the flight attendant. Uh, she plays Xanadu dancer in Xanadu. Um, but I'm surprised that she's credited above John Saxon. I'm guessing it is the flight attendant though, because um, th- there's no other character that has nearly enough scenes. Correct. John Saxon was Captain Pearson. He's best known as Roper in Enter the Dragon. He's lieutenants in Nightmare on Elm Street and Black Christmas. And so far we've covered his work in Battle Beyond the Stars and Running Scared for 1980. When I saw him, I thought for sure, for some reason, I thought it was for sure it was Joe Santos. Oh, okay. I thought it was the eraser. It's like, is that the eraser? <laughs> um, I was like, and I looked him up. I was like, oh, no, it's not him. Who is this? <laughs> But uh, I'll be reviewing his work for another belated minisode this year in the movie Beyond Evil. Stefan Girash was Dr. Demetrios, or Dr. Dimitri. They call him both things. Yeah. Uh, he shows up in Jeremiah Johnson and High Plains Drifter. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson is my the my immediate go-to role. For like, this guy? I was like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. Uh, his character is first met buried head deep in the sand by a... a band of native americans who not only buried him but buried him atop his own horse so his horse's head is also sticking out of the no ground? no the horse is under the ground oh god under, yeah uh he's also mr morton one of the teachers and carrie eleanor z played mrs selden the crazy homeless woman she was adam sandler's mom in apatow's funny people she's also credited as hysterical woman in 1980s first family but as i recall nobody was hysterical in that movie <laughs> <laughs> Pamela McMyler played Mrs. Hench. That's the lady who has a, a good handle on what her husband wears out every day. Uh, she's Mrs. Strode, Lori's mother, in Halloween 2. She's the canon Mrs. Strode. Harriet Medine played Ruth Hutton. She was Thomasina Payne in Death Race 2000. That's the crazy old lady who's, like, leading the bad guy team mm-hmm. um, and helping to kill a bunch of people on the sidelines. Before acting, she worked as a dental assistant and cleaned the teeth of JFK and RFK. When they were children she must have done a good job because i've never seen a picture of them with bad teeth when they were older is it weird that i don't think i've ever heard of him referred to as rfk it's a thing is that a thing yeah it, br- it just brought me back to working on the dark knight 
because that's a that those are three letter code word for it. RFK. Yeah. What was it? Rudy French kisses. <laughs> Rory's first kiss. There you go. I don't know why it was called that. Because that's one of his kids' names, I right? I think it's one of his kids' names, but why call it after his first kiss? I have Maybe no it happened right before the movie. His kids were really little. Mickey Fox played Moose. Later this season, we'll cover her in Smokey Bites the Dust and Nice Dreams. I'll also be reviewing her work in Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype for a belated minisode. She also shows up as Poker Annie in Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Julie Dolan played Karen. This was her first feature. Lately, she's provided the voice of Princess Leia Organa in a lot of Star Wars animated stuff. That's mm-hmm. one of the girls on the beach being interviewed by the reporter. Yeah. Bobby Bass played the rapist. He has stunt credits in Westworld, Smokey and the Bandit, Close Encounters. We've covered his work in The Ninth Configuration, When Time Ran Out, Serial, Holy Moses, Blues Brothers, The Hunter, and Smokey and the Bandit 2. Altogether, he's got close to a hundred stunt credits in major films, but his IMDb profile is as the rapist in this film, grabbing at his bloody mess of a crotch. <laughs> Why would you not have that be your profile picture on every bit of social media? Yeah. <laughs> it's his headshot. <laughs> Oh, or not. (laughs) (laughs) Marcus Chong played second kid. I think that means he's one of the two kids that throws a hot dog at Royco. Yeah. Uh, He was Johnny in Cheech and Chong's next movie last year. He's also Tank in The Matrix. And as we discovered in our review of next movie, he is the adopted son of Tommy Chong. Mary Jo Catlett played Harriet Crabb. That's the angry council woman. Mm -hmm. She was Pearl Gallagher in 81 episodes of Different Strokes. Uh, She was the replacement housekeeper after Charlotte Ray left to lead Facts of Life. She's also Rosemary Ackerman in Serial Mom, but she's probably best known to our younger listeners as the voice of Mrs. Puff on Spongebob. Because Mrs. Puff has that kind of like almost Julia uh, Child-esque kind of like voice. And I was like, that's Mrs. Puff. Yeah, she's a total crouch bunny. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) In a good way. Yeah. Ian Abercrombie played Man in Mayor's Office. I don't know who that would be. Uh, we had him as Dennis in Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood last year. He's the wise man in Army of Darkness. He's the voice of Palpatine on The Clone Wars. And he was Alfred on the early 2000s Birds of Prey TV series. I need to watch that. There's so many great people in it. And, yeah. and I know it was short-lived and probably not that great, but I just like the cast. Yeah, it's good people. That's um, Mia Sarah as Harley Quinn, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, or she's she's for sure in it. Yeah, but her name is maybe not Harley Quinn. I think they changed the names up a little bit for that movie or for that show. So this one is uh, weird because I think that if they had handled the third act a little better, this might be a thumbs up from me. Um, it was all around bad. I don't I don't have any hesitations in saying that. I I'm. I'm not giving it a thumbs up. It's a thumbs down. But um, I really like the effects of people getting sucked underground. And if they hadn't flubbed the ending so hard with this monster that makes no sense, then uh, this would be getting a thumbs up from me. But it's not because either they make it a human killer because it's totally possible for this to be a human killer now because it's underground. Well, and and you fully suspect Mrs. Selden is involved. Right. If not, like... If it and if it is a creature that she's leading people to it, yeah, like she because she witnesses so many of it. Like, how could she not be involved? And Hoagie seems like he's the one who she's most leading to yeah. the hole where he gets sucked under. But 
Um, yeah, the, the, the third act is so bad and it completely ditches every character that you've been following so far that it's kind of inexcusably, uh, poor ending. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with these movies, you have to just go so ridiculous over the top for it to not just be like, it either has to be good or it has to be so bad that it's fun. And mm-hmm. this was neither of those. Yeah. See, see my rewrite of this ending is to have them find the dwelling first, start rigging up explosives and watching, and then Hoagie goes out to try to get Mrs. Selden, gets pulled away, and then Harry has to go into the basement. To try and save Hoagie before he dies. Before he gets killed by the creature. But Royko wants to blow it up now that it's shown itself. Yeah. And you have like this kind of race against the clock. It's like yeah. they're trying to stop him from blowing it up because there are people now. I was like, but Dimitri still doesn't want him to blow it up. Still doesn't want him to blow it up. Specimen. Also, there's like people. There's people all around. Yeah. He doesn't like shout out any kind of a like, warning. Yeah, exactly. Like, he just steps clear. on the plunger. <laughs> um, yeah. But I would say this is not this is not worth your time. Um, if you've never seen a person get sucked into sand in a movie before watch the trailer um, watch the trailer for this and you're good <laughs> don't bother with the movie um, or watch they, tremors they did a decent job of it but yeah tremors is the is the better version of this film although they're still very different um tremors actually has a story it's very smart yes. the characters are wonderful yeah um and i did watch a movie called the sand from yeah. 2015 that uh i think it's honestly more ripping off tremors than ripping off this movie but it's like a bunch of people have a party on the beach and then there's a monster under the beach that's killing everybody in the morning but the entire movie takes place in the same like 100 square feet mm-hmm. because there's just a lifeguard tower and a car with a dead battery or something and they just can't touch the sand for the entire movie so they never leave this one area yeah. there's not even like establishing stuff of them at a restaurant before they get to the beach it literally wow. opens on the beach and closes on the beach and at around the 45 to 50 minute mark jamie kennedy pulls up <laughs> in a beach cruiser to like check on them and then obviously gets killed right away yeah but i think that's just a blatant reference to the tremors franchise which he is unfortunately now a representative of mm-hmm. uh after having been in the last two or three sequels um Though there is a new one coming out pretty soon called Shrieker Island, and I'm pretty sure it still has Michael Gross in it, so it's still canon to me. Um, as long as there's a Burt Gummer, it's a Tremors movie. Yeah. Um, so check that one out instead of this. I'm sure that will be worse than this, but watch that instead, please. Richard, what are you thinking? Thumbs up, thumbs down? It's a thumbs down! Oh, <laughs> oh nice. A big surprise. Um, although it is much higher than some of the other movies <laughs> that are on the list. Yeah. So, right? Uh, if not just for that couple of moments of of freaking out of being slowly pulled under the sand and having it done so effectively in this movie that I just go it just made me very nervous. Yeah. But everything else is is garbage. I actually kind of like the creature design. I know I know No you, way, really? I, I thought it was kinda crazy. I wish I, we could have seen Do you think that, that there's any universe where that creature design was made for this movie? No. No, no, no. I, it definitely I, wasn't. I, 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 but I really want, I really like the idea of it being some kind of like, not almost plant like, but also like otherworldly kind of thing. I mean, I don't sure. know. Like, it, it, I, I felt like they just needed to go a little bit further with it and, and have it maybe articulate instead of just swinging back and forth. Yeah, it literally doesn't move. They just yeah. move the camera around. Yeah, it. yeah. And I was just like, oh man, I, I want to know more about this creature now that, now that I see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the uh, 
What do they call those things in Stranger Things, like the demon dogs or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, Demogorgon? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, because it's like whole face mouth opens up. And I was like, yeah. I, I, I kind of like what they were going for, but um, the, too little too late. Yeah. I wanted to see this head unfurl like an umbrella or something. Yeah, totally. But it doesn't move at all the whole time that it's on screen. Except when it's a green gloved hand. <laughs> Letterboxd, Richard, what are you thinking? Um, I have this uh, not at the bottom. Um, I have this uh, at number five. Uh, so that puts it uh, below Underground Aces, uh, but above Home Sweet Home. I have it uh, also in number five, except for me, that's under Windwalker and above Home Sweet Home. Yeah, that's the same for me under Windwalker, above Home Sweet Home. Five. Five out of seven for the year. Yeah. So I think me and Jess still have identical lists, but Richard has Windwalker and Underground Aces swapped. Yeah. How dare you? Which is totally acceptable. Fine. I think that's everything for Blood Beach. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat. Share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. Also, search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Earthbound, which IMDb describes like so. A family of space aliens crash lands on Earth when their spaceship conks out. That's what it says. That's what it says. I read it too, and I was like, conks? Conks out. And and it and the, uh, anyway, we'll get into that. They're not even like launching a satellite at it this time. Yeah. It literally just conked out. <laughs> we leave you now with a clip from Earthbound. Well, I can vouch for Mr. Anderson. I'm sure you can, Sheriff. But my orders are to search all vehicles. That's right. That's what his orders are. Come with me. He spilled a can of green paint all over him. You can drive on. That's funny. I never knew Tommy had a green monkey. <laughs> That's neat. Next car. <laughs>